Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, February the 28th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. We got a packed show for you guys today. No show yesterday means a heavy one today. We got the wide receiver charting project is almost finished. We'll talk about Devontae Parker as well as Jarvis Landry. And speaking of Jarvis Landry, is his tenure in Miami coming to an end this weekend? And last night, the Dolphins social media platform released an interesting hype video. We'll read between the lines of that video and we'll go back to the film room to talk about tendency breakers with Adam Gaze in 2017. And very lastly, I am joined by my special guest to talk about an off-season simulation league that is rather fascinating and we'll get into that on the end of the show. But first, as you guys know, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com with all the wide receiver charts up there right now, as well as a really good piece by Skylar Trunk on trading back and how much value the Dolphins could get for trading back in this year's draft. And of course, last but not least, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, as well as Locked On Draft podcast for all the stuff you guys need during draft and NBA season. So let's not bury the lead and go ahead and get into first down here in the Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins And on first down, we are talking, of course, about the hype video the Dolphins' social media platforms put out last night. This is going way too between the lines and trying to read in something that's probably not there at all. But it is February. We are still a couple of days away from actual workouts happening at the scouting combine. So we got to get some content and fill the air for you guys here. And I think it's appropriate to talk about the fact that the Miami Dolphins on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want to call it, they put out a video talking about the hype and the excitement for the 2018 season, which right now is kind of at an all-time low with Dolphins fans. We all seem to forget the fact that the team went to the playoffs a year ago and they seem to hold the previous 10 years over that last year and, and the, the 2017 season with all the bad circumstances and Jay Cutler and all that stuff. Regardless, there was some hype around the 2018 season and they built it around none other than quarterback Ryan Tannehill. The video is him standing in the tunnel, uh, the tunnel of Hard Rock Stadium getting ready to come out with the fans going crazy and excited for him to come back, come back for the 2018 season. And I, like I said, I'm going to read into this here a little bit too much, but it just seems to me like you wouldn't do that unless he was the face of the franchise. And I don't really know who else you would do. Jarvis Landry is probably the next best bet. Cam Wake is one of those guys, but he's not really a guy that really craves the attention. And when you want to build a football team, you want to have the quarterback be the face of the franchise. And the Dolphins feel like they have that. Adam Gaze has talked about having that with Ryan Tannehill. So just looking at that video alone, it just seems like, unless they're in on the major long con for the smokescreen, because the Dolphins have been sniffing around every quarterback imaginable in the draft. And that's not something that's new this year. The Dolphins and other teams do that every year because you have to get information on these guys, whether you draft them or whether you're going to play against them. I mean, what's the chances that Josh Allen or Sam Ro- Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield winds up in the AFC East with the Jets or the Bills? There's a chance that could happen. So the Dolphins would be wise to go ahead and make sure they know a little bit about the guy and how they can plan on attacking him when they have to play him on Sundays, even if they're not on their own team. So that video to me just says that Ryan Tannehill's the guy. I would not get your hopes up about a quarterback being drafted in the first round, regardless of how much interest they have shown throughout the course of the process or how much interest they will show this week during the scouting combine. And speaking of that scouting combine, that rolls into our next topic here, talking about Jarvis Landry 
and the news of the Dolphins said that they were planning on having more discussions on Wednesday today at the scouting combine in Indianapolis. And that's where everyone kind of comes together. And there's actually been a lot of reports and I guess factual evidence that the, that the NFL in general has a lot of collusion, a lot of agents speaking to players and teams and different things that go on at the scouting combine. It really is the beginning of the new league year. I know the new league year starts on March 14th this year. But this is when talks start to really heat up, when teams and agents really start to gauge interest for who wants to go where and who wants to pay the most money for certain players. And just talking about Jarvis Landry, to me, we have five teams that could possibly want to make a trade for Landry. And that's that's kind of what benefits the Dolphins here in the market is that they have a bunch of teams that really need a wide receiver and would love a guy like Jarvis Landry. And it will cause them to hopefully bid against each other and get a higher pick because you got to remember this. The Dolphins, at the worst, would get a third-round pick out of Jarvis Landry because they would go ahead and let him just rescind the tag and let him walk in free agency and get a third-round comp pick next year when he signs for a mega deal somewhere else. So the Dolphins have that leverage in their back pocket. And while that third-round draft pick wouldn't be till 2019, it still holds a value of like a fourth-round pick this year. So I don't see the Dolphins trading him for anything less than a third-round pick. So with that in mind, let's go over the criteria I want for a potential trade. I would want a second or third-round pick. Probably a second-round pick is where I'm going to start my conversation off. And the higher, the better. Teams like the Browns and that type of thing. But I'm just going to go ahead and exclude the Browns because I think like Jarvis Landry would probably ex-nay that because who wants to go to Cleveland? I mean, the Browns are in on everybody as it is right now, whether it's the draft or free agency because they have the money and they have the picks. But I think Jarvis Landry kind of drives the car in that conversation because he doesn't have to go there. He doesn't want to. So let's go ahead and cross Cleveland off. And we've heard about how player trades are becoming more and more frequent in recent years. And the Patriots have certainly proven that the Eagles have proven that those are the two teams that had the most trades in the NFL the last calendar year. And look who the two teams that were in the Super Bowl. Not that that's what that means or that that's what you're going to get when you trade players, but it just shows you some of the best teams are trading players and making roster moves that way. And so just kind of talking about some of the players I might want from the five teams is the Panthers, the 49ers, the Titans, the Ravens, and the Bears. And my criteria for the player is this. I want someone on a rookie deal, someone that's going to cost me peanuts next year and puts me in a position to go ahead and give them a new deal in, 2018, or in 2019 if 2018 goes well. And I want players at positions of need. I want to cross a need off my board. So that's going to be linebackers, pass rushers, offensive line, tight ends, running backs, whatever it is, something that the Dolphins will have to sign or draft to fill out their roster this year. And there are certainly enough teams that have those players for us to go ahead and pick from. So let's go ahead and start with the Carolina Panthers. They have picks number 55 and 88 in the second and third round. I am not going for that third round pick. The comp pick next year would be right around that spot too, as the Panthers were a playoff team. And the player that I'm asking about is Shaq Thompson. He's going into the last year of his contract. The Dolphins can play him for $1.9 million in 2018 and then get a chance to negotiate with him next offseason to get a new contract. And he would fill the role of that coverage linebacker, that specialized linebacker. And if the Panthers are going to keep paying this money to Luke Keekley, to someone like Jarvis Landry, for instance, or up front on the K1 short on the defensive line, they might not have enough money to go ahead and make Shock Thompson an offer. So that's the player that I'm going to sniff around, start with him, maybe work around pick 55. That's kind of what I'm asking for for the Carolina Panthers. Moving on to the San Francisco 49ers, I have posted this on Twitter a few times and got a lot of flack for it. But wide receiver Trent Taylor, it was a guy that the Dolphins were interested in during the scouting combine or scouting process last year before the draft. He was drafted by the 49ers, has a nice rookie year, not huge production, but definitely showed that he could be a, a good slot receiver in this league, a good replacement for Jarvis Landry, if that is the case. The other one is tight end George Kittle out of Iowa. He is a the type of inline blocking slash detached type of tight end the Dolphins could use at the position. And they also have picks 59 and 74. I think they're a little less likely to do draft picks since they have 
they want to build around Jimmy Garoppolo and, and use it with a young team. That kind of goes against Trent Taylor and George Kittle as well, but those are the guys I'm going to ask about because if you're going to get Jarvis Landry, you're going to have to give something up. So Trent Taylor, George Kittle, pick 59, pick 74. That's the conversation that we're having with the 49ers. The next team is the Tennessee Titans, and this one I realize is far-fetched. Corey Davis is one of my favorite receivers in the league. I thought he was a top receiver in the draft last year. You might as well ask about him, see what they say. You're going to have to send probably more draft picks their way with Jarvis Landry to get Corey Davis because he's a cheap wide receiver that has a lot of potential and upside. But the other one that's more realistic is Taewon Taylor, another late round draft pick, a slot guy, a diminutive guy that can kind of get in and out of breaks and fill that slot role that'll be left by Jarvis Landry. And then tight end Jonu Smith, another second round, I believe it was draft pick for the Titans last year, a guy that shows big potential, ability to kind of play in line, flex out wide, do the whole thing that we want at tight end. And they also have picks 57 and 89 in the second and third round. Like I said, probably not going to do 89 because I just feel like the compensatory pick that we get next year would be right around that spot. So I'm not worrying about that. But Corey Davis, Taewon Taylor, Jonu Smith, and then pick 57 in the second round. Going on to the Baltimore Ravens, they have a running back, Buck Allen, that I like a lot. Came from USC a few years back on a rookie contract still. Could pair him with Kenyon Drake. And then Tyus Bowser, the pass rush specialist, the defensive end, second round pick last year as well. He was a guy I liked in the draft process. And like I said, these these are guys that the, the teams drafted themselves. They obviously liked them. But if you want Jarvis Landry, I'm going to make you give up something for him. So Buck Allen, Tyus Bowser, and then they have picks 52 and 83. Once again, pick 52 is probably where I'm looking at, not 83 because the back end of that second round or that third round, I should say. And I'm not interested in that at all. Then lastly, the Chicago Bears. And this one really interests me the most. Their defensive end slash linebacker slash pass rusher, Leonard Floyd, who has been Injured often the last two years of his career, the first two years of his career, I should say, but has been a good pass rusher. And then they also hold pick 39, and they don't have a third round pick because of the Mitch Trubisky trade. But Leonard Floyd's a guy that I would definitely look into. And like I said, if you're going to give me, if you're going to get Jarvis Landry, you have to give me something. So those are some players to kick around, some conversations the Dolphins should have this week in Indianapolis. If they're going to trade Jarvis Landry, which it sounds like they want to, that's the, the plan and the goal. So those are the teams that I would approach, and those are the players that I would ask about first with the conversation. Obviously, it could go different than that, but you have to start somewhere. And we're going to talk about Devontae Parker and Jarvis Landry a little bit more in terms of what they did in 2017 on the next segment here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. And jumping into our next topic here, you guys, if you follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, you have seen my incessant posting about wide receivers lately. I am obsessed with this charting project and Game Pass makes it really easy with their specified search tool. So I have had a great time going through and charting everything about these Dolphins wide receivers. And Devontae Parker was up next. I have all the information compiled. I have not put together the percentages and all that stuff that I did for the Kenny Stills, Jakeem Grant, Leontay Carew pieces, but I've done enough to kind of have a better idea of what Devontae Parker looks like. And just kind of talking about some of the things he did in 20. 17 the first three games of the year he was a beast he was at 8.52 yards per target which is a yard and a half better than his season average was he was catching balls away from his body nine of his 18 catches so half of them were all contested and what I mean by that is he was either in coverage where the guy was right on him he was getting hit within the first step of the catch or he had to dive or lay out and make a catch on the ground and pull the ball off the ground so those are my contested catch criterias and he was holding up piles he even pushed a pile in the New Orleans Saints game he broke tackles on five different occasions, averaged 2.77 yards after the catch on mostly slants and crossers, so short little routes where you have to pick your way through linebackers and potentially safeties. So he looks like a like a like a different player before the ankle injury. Then he gets hurt and he basically disappears for the majority of the season. And then he comes back at the end of the year and has a really good stretch at the very end as well. Three more games to close the season out where he's a target monster. He's catching footballs. He's getting yards. And if you take those games in particular, those six games, and you prorate those numbers throughout the course of an entire season. 
In those six games, he had 35 catches on 56 targets for 446 yards. That's almost eight yards per target. Six ga- 16 game pro rate, that's 93 catches for 1,189 yards. So maybe the ankle injury felt better. Maybe he got more used to being able to work throughout the course of the week. We've talked about his lack of practice habits or positive practice habits, and maybe it's just something that he has to learn to do and he's not there yet. So that's the optimistic view. The pessimistic view will look at the plays that he didn't catch and the inability to separate from one-on-one coverage, the way he rounds off routes, and the way he just doesn't look that explosive at certain routes and at the stem of the route. So there is a lot of ambiguity with Devontae Parker, but I do know this. He's going into a contract year, and you figure he probably will put his best foot forward to try to get that big second contract. So we'll see with Devontae Parker. Parker should be a very interesting 2018 season for him, but I'm not ready to give up on him just yet, despite the fact that I have been one of the hardest critics of Devontae Parker. But that wide receiver route tree should be up on the site either now or shortly after this podcast. After you listen to this podcast, we're working on getting the diagram drawn up right now. My guy Lee Top Landing at Lee Top Landing on Twitter has been fantastic in doing that for me. So really appreciate those graphics. So we're gonna get that piece out for you today. The Jarvis Landry stuff is coming the end of the week or possibly next week. Kenny Stills, Leontay Carew, and Jakeem Grant all up right now on LockedOnDolphins.com. And speaking of Jarvis Landry, I have one more point before we go to our, our guest, Matt Chapman of the GM League. Uh, just talking about Jarvis Landry, I've charted one game of his already, that Los Angeles Chargers game where he had 13 catches on 15 targets for 78 yards, the weirdest receiver stat line I've ever seen. And just looking at the chart here, I tweeted it out today. There's an argument to be made about Jarvis Landry and his limitations and what he cannot do, and they should certainly be validated in a certain respect. But the argument that I do not want to hear is yards per catch. And the reason for that is, look at his route tree. I posted it on Twitter. Go to my timeline, at Wingfield NFL. You can find it. And just tell me what he's supposed to do with the catches that he has. Because of those 13 catches he had, only one of those routes extended beyond 10 yards. And the other 12, none of them went beyond 5 yards. So he was all within 5 yards. And then half of those 12 catches were behind the line of scrimmage. So he has to catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage and make all of his yards on his own. He is not a traditional wide receiver by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think you can really appreciate his value in the box score. You have to watch him on film and watch the games to appreciate what he does. And I'm just as guilty as that of that as anyone. So I do apologize for getting harsh on him in, those, in the sense that I've kind of been, you know, I feel like maybe diminishing his value a little bit on Twitter and on my columns and on the podcast here, but he's a special player. He does a lot of special things, but he's just not worth the Antonio Brown money because on the other side of that coin, you can say, okay, well, if he's catching those balls back there, then what is his production really saying about his ability as a wide receiver and a guy that can split out wide and make plays down the field? It just there's That's why this contract situation is so difficult. He's such a unique player, probably one of the most unique players in the NFL, and the Dolphins and Jarvis Landry are having a hard time coming to an agreement in a middle ground on how to work that out. And then one last note from the charting project that kind of goes beyond the wide receiver play and just talking about Jay Cutler and Adam Gaze and what Adam Gaze was able to do. Now you go back to that New England Patriots game. I've talked a lot about it. It's obviously the Dolphins' biggest win of the year. Really their only kind of benchmark of the season you can point to and say that was fun was that New England Patriots game Monday night win where they dominated the Patriots for basically for 60 minutes. But that was Jay Cutler's best game. And if you look at the the game on film, he really didn't do a whole lot that was special. I know everyone's going to say, oh, he had three touchdown passes, 300 yards, yada, yada, yada. But look beyond that. Look at what was there for him to see and what where the routes were and where the open holes were. That was merely a function of Adam Gase dialing up a ton of tendency breakers. I've talked about it on the podcast before. The lack of the bye week didn't allow the Dolphins to get into their own self-scouting. I mean, look what I'm doing. I'm going through this week, and I'm finding these certain things the Dolphins do and these tendencies they fall, they fall victim to, these habits they continue to, to perpetrate. And with... 
out that week off, you don't have a chance to really break those tendencies and do different things to kind of shake things up and make that t- other team that you're playing defend you in a different way. But in that game, he had an extra day off. I don't know how much goes into that, but suddenly they're running a variety of pre-snap groupings, all kinds of trips, tight splits, bunches. They have all these wide open windows on these shallow crosses, these slants, these digs, these whips, these jerks, all these different routes where the Dolphins are kind of putting the Patriots on their heels to say, we haven't seen this before from the Miami Dolphins. And then they did it a couple weeks later against the Kansas City Chiefs with Jakeem Grant and some screen routes and some different things there. And then also some shallow crosses and some slant routes with Devontae Parker against that press man coverage he faced there. And then they also went back to some zone coverage and the Dolphins did some different things there too. So different bunches, different groupings, different formations, different pre-snap looks. Something the Dolphins did the last couple of games, or I guess their offense in those last couple of games, where they looked better in terms of moving the football. The points weren't necessarily there in all those games, but they just were some things they could do differently. And it makes me wonder how much of that was the fact that Jay Cutler was the quarterback, a guy that was just basically there to collect $10 million, didn't really want to work that hard. You know, he stayed in a hotel room the entire time he was there. I mean, we saw the tweeted picture that Kristen Cavallari put up of him eating a piece of steak holding in his hand, in his right hand with his left hand holding a bottle of horseradish or whatever it was. So how much work was he actually doing on football and spending time studying the playbook? I don't know. This is all speculation, but just kind of trying to think of ideas for why the Dolphins' offense was so bad in 2017. But we're going to talk more about 2018 on the next segment here. I'm going to have my guest come on, Matt Chapman, talk about the GM League and his ownership of the Miami Dolphins in that league on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And joining the podcast now is a longtime friend of mine. His name is Matt Chapman. He is at Mattitude13 on Twitter. Matt, how's it going tonight, man? Not too bad. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Just kind of surviving on Twitter with everyone going crazy over this quarterback news right now. But I wanted to bring you on, Matt, because you participate in something that is common to you and I because of the message boards we've been on for, what, a decade plus now. But you participate in what in something called the GM League. And I want to just kind of give you the floor and talk, let you talk about it because you're going to write some articles. And basically what it is, it's an off-season simulation to the 10th degree. I've never seen something as detailed as this one. I mean, you have the fan speak one. I think there's one from Draft Tech, other places that operate these off-season simulations, but nothing as detailed and as, I guess, accurate as this one is. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor. You're going to write some columns for LockdownDolphins.com. I kind of want to give you the floor and let you talk about what the GM League is and, and what your role in the league is. Yeah, so basically it's all 32 teams. Uh, each person picks a team, and it's like Madden style. It's not no CPU, it's all users. So you have to abide by the salary cap with real implications such as debt money. You go through the free agency process, except it's one-year contracts because it wouldn't make much sense to have a dynasty style for something like this. And then you go through the full seven-round draft, and you keep your rosters at least 46 players throughout the entire process, and you go up to 53 at the very end. So it's the whole off-season simulated with real people, so you never know what's going to happen. So you're dealing with 31 different personalities. It's, you know, it's not a computer. I remember when I, I think, it, I want to say it was like 10 years ago because I was in charge of the Raiders one year and my big ticket guy was Namdi Awesome Was. That tells you how long ago that was. And it was so <laughs> overwhelming to me. I wasn't quite, you know, as much of a football connoisseur as I am now and I didn't really have the time nor the patience to do it. But it's a pretty cool thing, a pretty crazy thing. And I would highly recommend anyone that wants to look into it to do it. But you own the Dolphins this year. Is that something you do every year or just this year? Uh, yeah, I shoot for the Dolphins every year just because I'm very familiar with that team. Uh, that's really the only reason why. Obviously, I'm a fan, but because I've watched every game and 
I keep tabs on every single player. I know what their backstory is, and it's just an easier process for me rather than learning a brand new team. Yeah, it makes it a lot, lot easier to do that, and especially when you talk about this team every day, you tweet about them, you're on the message boards, like I mentioned. But just kind of, you know, you had texted me something that's kind of a little bit alarming in terms of the Dolphins' position heading into March here as we get going towards the new league year. But you talked about kind of their cap space, and give me some of your concerns in regards to what where they are up against the cap and what it could mean for player acquisitions. Well, for this year specifically, Miami is in a lot of cap trouble. They have a lot of bad contracts in the book. I mean, Nadamakin Sue is making $26 million. He's an elite player, but that's a lot of money for a defensive tackle. You have Ryan Tannehill coming back from injury, and he's costing, I think, $20 million on the books. He's easy to get rid of, but he, he's your quarterback. I mean, Gase has consistently said that Tannehill is his guy. But then not just that, but you have guys who are likely going to be gone. Lawrence Timmons, who thankfully went AWOL so we can get out of his contract fairly easily. Julius Thomas, Mike Pouncey is a question mark. Uh, Ted Larson. And then you have plenty of players who, are they going to take the next step? We just don't know. Devontae Parker, Jordan Phillips, I mean, they're inconsistent guys. So they could be trade pieces or they, they could be on the roster just to see if they have it. And talking about some of those offensive line guys just kind of gives me a little bit of the willies off the jump here because talking about like Ted Larson and kind of what, you know, if if I had to put one major fault in Adam Gaze, and he certainly has his faults as every coach does and every player in the league does, but I would say it's, it's his reluctance to move on from players that he's familiar with. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Ted Larson comes in, he, you know, he. Uh, <laughs> if you're on Twitter the week that he came back off of the IR, it was like he was the best left guard in the, in the league because of the, how – you know, starved we were for a quality interior offensive lineman, but do you see yourself keeping Ted Larson, or what are you looking to do with the interior offensive line in the GM league? You know, honestly, I'm going to be shopping Mike Pouncey for one, just because if he can't practice, then he's, aside from his leadership and maturity, he's not really an asset on the field, I think. It's just not there anymore. Ted Larson, he would be competing for a backup role, as far as I'm concerned. It's, you're really only saving, I think, a million and a half if you cut him so and that's half of his salary right there so it's it's not really worth to just up and cut him unless you find a capable backup because larson's still he's a decent swing guard he can play three positions and jesse davis is a solid right guard i I like to see what he can do next year and it's really just filling that center and left guard position because juan james and tunsil just perfectly fine a tackle for us i think all right, so let's get to the big question here, Matt. And it's something that's already happened for the Miami Dolphins and something I'm sure you're going to have to deal with in the GM League as well. What are you doing with Jarvis Landry? Jarvis Landry, I mean, you you got it. You can't let him go without getting something. And in a one-year league, I'm going to be looking to trade him simply because he's $16 million on the cap. And Miami is, I think they're seven over with him tagged. So that, that tells you how how close we're getting. So, so, I mean, I, I'm hoping in real life Landry resigns and it's not $60 million on the books for year <laughs> one, but for the GM League, it's just too tough. we got to get something back for him. Are you beholden to that t- franchise tag? Is that something you already have to have him on? Yeah, so, I mean, you have to have him tagged, I think, within the next week and a half as far as the league goes, and you have until then to trade him. But I'm saying, did you? so they tagged him a few days ago. Did you... Is that something yeah. that was enforced on you, or did you make that decision on your own? Uh, I made that decision on my own. Okay. Because it, you want to make sure you get something out of them. So what are you looking for in free agency in the draft, then, in the in the GM League? 
Um, as far as free agency, I really just try to make sure we go into the draft with as little holes as possible. That way you can kind of leave the draft wide open and go best player available. So I'll be looking to address the offensive line best I can and maybe add a little bit of athleticism to the linebacker position. Yeah, and that's something the Dolphins have really kind of harped on the last few years is making sure they have their holes plugged up. And it, obviously it hasn't really uh, worked out that way in terms of the free agent signings, but hopefully you can do a better job for us, Matt. So give us a little bit of a uh, what we can expect in terms of the articles because it's going to be kind of a fun process to track this with you throughout the course of the next couple of months, you know, leading into the draft and free agency and stuff. So what are you going to be writing on LockedOnDolphins.com for us? I mean, the, the introduction is just going to be a roster analysis of what I think of every single player that is on the books and then from there it's just going to be weekly or bi-weekly I'm not really sure what we patched out but uh trades I mean there will be plenty of trades because people like to trade and then the whole free agency process who I'm targeting who I signed who the big names went where they went and then the whole seven round draft I'll do probably a two or three part where we look at the first round who the division rivals drafted and then day two and day three, and then at the very end, we'll talk about the 53-man roster. Well, I'm excited for you to do this, man. I'm excited for you to share it because it's nice to have, like you mentioned, 32 actual users so you can get a little bit more of a realistic feel for us. I'm really looking forward to that, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll get you back on the podcast as, as we have more things to talk about in the future. So th- thanks for coming on tonight, Matt. Thanks a lot. And once again, he is Matt Chapman at Mattitude13 on Twitter with one T. Big thanks to Matt for coming on the show. And just want to give you guys a little bit of different perspective and a way to approach the offseason. Something fun we can all kind of get on board with and talk to Matt about. So hit him up on Twitter, ask him questions about that going forward. That is going to do it for the podcast tonight. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. And check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, the Locked On NFL Facebook page, as well as at Locked On NFL on Twitter. And last but not least, check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the Devontae Parker piece up live right now, looking at every catch he made and everything you want to know about all those catches. Back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast with a special guest, Simon Clancy, joining us for the show for your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football.